If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 417 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Martin Scorsese of Irish MMA media, Graham McDonald. Um, as we have a bit of a different podcast this week, we're going to talk uh, about two things this week, two of the biggest stars uh, in our sport. First of all is uh, Francis Ngannou uh, and his big decision to sign with the PFL. We're going to look at all sides of that. But we're also going to talk about Conor McGregor because uh, I have Graham with me, who has obviously uh, been with uh, Conor since day one doing the documentary. And a new Conor McGregor documentary has come out on Netflix. Uh, Graham was a producer on that, so I'm going to put some of the questions you sent in to him on that uh, and talk about uh, some of my own thoughts on it as well. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, we must tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Friends, family, and loved ones. It's Father's Day is coming up. And have you got a gift for him yet? Ah, fear not. The leaders in Below the Waste Grooming are here. I'm talking about our friends at Manscaped. They're saving the day yet again. Saving the day. They should have said they're shaving the day. There you go. Uh, with a tall package for the father figure in your life this year. It's time to upgrade his game from waist to face with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com and join the 8 million men worldwide who trust manscaped and uh, it was funny actually i um i was going through my manscaped stuff yesterday or my my, uh, my just my general uh care stuff this uh, today and i found a bottle of the the manscaped uh cologne i suppose you call it perfume and i was like i absolutely love it and i love that because i'm always finding like little manscaped gifts <laughs> around the place and uh, they're absolutely fantastic and you know it's it's it, as i said i'm always finding little gifts but you could give a gift for your father the you know the, the the father figure in your life as well make him the mvp with the performance package 4.0 in that you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 which is a, a waterproof cordless body trim with a ton uh, of other liquid form uh, formulations to go around and use for your grooming routine the trimmer features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and reduce grooming uh, accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology it's an absolute game changer for the sensitive areas but what about the nose hairs as well and we all know that the fathers have some of them well the weed whacker 2.0 is for that it trims the ear and nose hair 
it's a perfect gift for Father's Day, really. With this beautiful bundle also comes the crop uh, preserver ball, the Odin Crop Reviver Toner, which everyone knows I love, as well as the boxer briefs and the shed travel bag, which uh, I use all the time. We all know dads love their comfort. If this grooming routine is already dialed, make sure to hook in with the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. They are without doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. The jewel pouch is designed to comfortably care for the specific region whether he's mowing the lawn taking out the trash or golfing in the sun these moisture wicking boxers breed without breaking a sweat so our call to action is basically this get 20% off and free shipping with the code severe manscaped.com 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com using the code severe May. make this father's day one he won't forget with manscaped and you know what while you're there, why not head over to our friends at Caldera Lab, use the promo code SEVERMA as well, and get 20% off their products. They're absolutely brilliant. 9 out of 10 men experience healthier, healthier and visibly improved skin with Caldera Lab in their leading clinical trial. Their skincare needs for the man in your life, they're absolutely brilliant. They create high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. Um, and as you age, you you know, you know have those fine lines, you have those signs of aging. But if you use Caldera Lab, they'll absolutely help. The Regimen Bundle uh, leads their lineup a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin so first of all you start off with the clean slate it's where you start your day it's a balancing cleanser that uses plant-based cleansing um leaving all skin types exceptionally refreshed in the base layer is a nutrient-dense fortifying moisturizer that hydrates your skin and absorbs fast leaving you with a matte finish so you can start your day confidently the good is your go-to at night before bed and a clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helping uh, to reduce visibility of wrinkles and fine lines in every drop of the serum there's 3.4 million antioxidant units who counted them protecting your skin what does that mean you ask i don't know but it must be good <laughs> I, do you know what i love doing these reads when they're when there's no you know they, they realize there might be a little bit of bullshit <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I, I appreciate that. It works though, and that's all you want. The icon as well. That's really good for around your eyes. It, it you know, it uh, it helps address the three most common uh, skin concerns around the eye: fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. I've used that a couple of times, and honestly, you know, as someone who doesn't get much sleep, it's fucking it's unreal. Committed to transparency, sustainability, and excellence, Caldera Lab is on a mission to better mince uh, mince skincare around the world priding itself on clean ingredients and doing right by their customers and the planet we live in caldera is a certified b corporation as well as a member of the one percent for the planet through uncompromising craftsmanship exceptional ingredients and rigorous transparency caldera lab is here to upgrade your skin and confidence so get 20 percent off with our code severe mma at calderalab.com that's 20 percent off at calderalab.com using the code severe mma take your skincare to the next level this summer with caldera lab all right um i suppose we'll talk we'll, we'll start around by talking about the the whole conor mcgregor documentary and uh the the four part ah, you, you never shut up about that lad come on <laughs> isn't it funny though because like every time we talk about him every maybe few months i always feel like we actually don't talk about him enough for like an irish mma podcast when we have like the biggest star in the history of the sport we actually rarely talk about him. like we probably mention him every week in terms of like you know oh i threw a shot like mcgregor or i did something you know but to actually sit down and yeah, talk about we're not him, making a headline out of it like a, a lot yeah. of other uh, outlets might uh, tend to do yeah that's true but 
I, I suppose now is a better time than ever, considering, you know, he's tough as starting this week, I think. And the, the documentary came out, obviously, which uh, you were a, a producer on and you've been a producer uh, and a big part of all the documentaries so far. And I, I, I had a few people when I said it today, I, I kind of jokingly said I'm having the producer of the McGregor documentary on the podcast this week without mentioning I have him on every week. But anyway, I have you here. Uh, oh, just I'm, I don't know, should I be interviewing here? And you, you here in Akram, but we'll, we'll, we'll decide that as we go. That would be a bit weird. That would be a bit weird. But how has it, like, it been, like, being part of these documentaries in different play, you know, one on Netflix and Fight Pass and Fox Sports and one in cinemas and one in RTE and it feels like there's been about 30 documentaries at this stage but it's been a long road and you've been there since day one like I think you you know the 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 one kind of piece that's been shown I think in every documentary nearly is Connor hitting the bag you know with the gum shield in and talking in the yellow mats and that's kind of the original severe MMA kind of documentary on him wasn't it and it's kind of been well yeah that was actually we only cut about four or five minutes of that interview from like 20 minutes or more even um so and maybe someday we'll have to just use that that. I did. Oh, yeah, I, I, I sent it to the, to the religion of sports guys who were dealing with like uh, clips and editing and that side of things. Um, but yeah, they didn't. I don't does, know what does, happened there. Does Severe <laughs> own that or who owns that? Uh, yeah, Severe MMA would own that old footage. Like all the old YouTube footage would be severe on Severe MMA. Like, and whenever, whenever anybody asks like the UFC or other people to use, to use footage, I, I always let them because, you know, why not? <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you know, there's been a lot of documentaries at this stage. You know, started off as you mentioned, RTE was a was a what was it, 52 minutes probably with with, with ads, uh, an hour, a TV hour on around the Max Holloway, signing for the UFC, kind of getting to the UFC and the Max Holloway fight. Then obviously we had on RTE the the six part uh, 30 TV minutes uh, each uh, directly after that, which covered like. Uh, um, kind of his his rise in the UFC and the, and the first Poirier fight and then obviously you mentioned the Universal release in um, November 2017 which is ridiculous that it's actually nearly six years ago five and a half years ago now it's a bit mad but uh, that obviously came out and has been on went, went in cinemas and stuff and sold a lot and it was the most uh, successful ever Irish documentary and all that stuff so that, that was great and obviously now Netflix the kind of model has changed over the years everything's get, kind of going more towards uh, streaming and things like that so this this uh, four part obviously just came out on Netflix there on Wednesday and yeah it's a uh, it's been a it's been a mad journey obviously you know, at the start, it was like a fairy tale rise, and you know, uh, knocked out Aldo and won the belt, and you know, obviously the ups and downs. Of MMA lost to Diaz, got that back, beat Eddie, beat Eddie Alvarez, like creating history and things like that. Like that was just an unbelievable uh, time to be following following Connor around and being in the thick of things and seeing everything kind of from a unique perspective. And you know, uh, these days I'm not I'm not traveling around with Connor the, the last year or two, but. Uh, I'm I'm still working on the documentary and you know seeing all the footage and logging all the footage and things like that and yeah it's 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 a it's a mad story overall and yeah there's been a lot of documentaries and maybe I saw a lot of people on or a few people anyway online saying it's a bit too early for a Conor McGregor documentary I don't think they realize that we've already pumped out loads of documentaries so uh, yeah they'd probably be a bit mad if they uh, if they realize that watching the four pieces and we'll be getting to more of them in a second but like it did feel like episode one to four of what could be like episode 
you know, five to eight to come or something like that. If you get me, like, it feels like this story is very much unfinished, which is obviously great for you. Make a bit more money out of it. Stuff like, you know, which is fantastic for everyone, I suppose. But, and we, we get to that, but it did feel, it, even like watching it and like knowing obviously everything about McGregor, it feels, it feels like, well, where's this story going? Because this is very much unfinished. Now, I actually did think y'all did a great job of, of getting it to uh, an interesting finished point, I suppose, but also a point, you know, we all have watched films or whatever it might be in the past and thought, oh, okay, well, that was interesting, but like the next one's going to be class or whatever. And with McGregor, like <laughs> the Shander fight, if it happens, right, he loses or he wins. It's there's another part to that story there, so it's great that it's kind of left open as well. But how, how is this one different, I suppose, to the other ones, Graham? Like, I know there was what well, you said, the yeah, over the sport. years, you know, it started off with you know, no budgets of MMA, Gav Fitzgerald, uh, Patrick Timmons Ward following Connor around, kind of paying her own way, all that stuff, and trying to pitch documentaries. Nobody's interested because you know, Connor's not in the UFC, he's only in Cage Warriors, nobody's really interested, or he aren't interested. Uh, Gavin Paddy went with um, with uh, Connor to the Late Late Show, and Jamie Dalton from Motive TV was there with for some other reason uh, with another guest or filming something with another guest or something. They got talking. Uh, you know, we, we teamed up with him to make the the make the RTE ones. They, they suddenly got interested. Obviously, once Connor kind of made his splash in the UFC, made his debut, and the momentum built even further. Obviously, I mentioned we put out the Max Holloway documentary and the the six part with RTE and uh, worked at Motive and both of them and Paddy and Gav and both of them and on the notorious uh, Universal release, the one from 2017, uh, Dara McCarthy, who's uh, a brilliant director of uh, photography and now director on uh, this uh, McGregor Forever, came on board as well and Gav and Paddy moved on to other things and. For the last few years, you know, it's just been a two-man team, myself and Dara, working on the footage. And Dara's obviously uh, been with Connor the whole time, um, filming and, you know, editing videos as Connor wants them for social media and things like that. He does a lot of work, a lot of unheralded work. Like, a lot of people wouldn't even know who Dara is. And, you know, uh, Dara definitely would would get the most credit, I think, in my opinion, by by a lot for uh, the documentary. And, you know, he has... He has the, the, you know, the responsibilities of, of many, many people. Like, you know, a two-man team isn't really, you know, myself and Dara isn't really, uh, you know, enough. <laughs> but uh, we get it done because, you know, hard work and, you know, uh, especially from Dara, as I said, you know, a lot of people maybe, you know, never even heard Darren McCarty's name. But, yeah, he's, he's been absolutely phenomenal throughout this, this whole uh, McGregor Forever process. And the religion of sport guys, then, you kind of put it all together, kind of handed it over to them, and then that was kind of the... Yeah, well, Motive aren't involved anymore now, so, uh, mm. yeah, um, Religion of Sport were, were, were brought on board, and they they uh, were, were like, we, myself and Dara gave them the footage or whatever. Um, we chose what footage to, get, to give them, and Dara kind of, you know, uh, as a director, would kind of mould the the storyline, I suppose, but ROS are doing the edit and they're the main people in, in the edit and pulling clips of old clips and pulling uh, talking heads and doing uh, sit-down interviews with Connor and John and Ariel and Owen Roddy and, you know, uh, all the rest of the people and probably uh, Julian, Colin, all the kind of um, narration you hear during during the series. So, uh, yeah, they, that was their kind of side of things and uh, myself and Darrow were on the on the footage side of things. But I think uh, ROS did film a, a few days of, of training uh, at one stage over in, over in America with Connor. But uh, yeah, Dara McCarthy is the 
the, the by far the main provider of the the film the footage film film we saw and i was i was there uh well when did we start this this is probably the fo- earliest footage is probably 2018 so i would have been uh with dara most of the time for the first couple of years and now the last couple of years i've been uh he's been a one-man show on the road with connor and you've been obviously doing the editing so although they like as well not the editing i've been uh you know uh, processing the footage logging yeah, the yeah, footage yeah. and all that kind of thing I, I suppose that the, oh, the earliest footage, like you said, 2018, but the earliest, earliest footage in that, that documentary is what, 2012 or something like that? Oh, it? yeah. Sorry, I'm talking about the kind of new Yeah, the, the new footage, but the oldest footage, like, is, it must be a decade, like, in uh, at least, is it? <laughs> it's been yeah, going well, on. So we that's started incredible. filming with Connor probably the end of 2011 or the start of 2012, and myself, Gavin, Gavin Fitzgerald and Patrick Timmons Ward. Uh, we obviously made the Ten Thousand Hours documentary about Paddy Hula and and um, and own Roddy, and we were planning on filming Connor, but he picked up some injury and it got delayed. But it, we we got it we got it going in the end, and yeah, there's, there is some really good old footage that uh, we haven't been able to locate at the moment. Um, I actually was talking to Paddy Timmons Ward recently in the last few weeks about it, and we're trying to locate it, but. Um, Hopefully it's not lost to, to time, or hopefully when we do, if we do find them, we turn on the hard drive, they they still spin and they're not just uh, cooked. Why? What's in it? Give us give us a taster. Ah, uh, just uh, I wouldn't even be able to remember. It's so long ago, like it's yeah. like ten years ago. But I remember there was there's a documentary pitch trailer from when we pitched the original documentary to RTE on the Severe May YouTube, and there's some footage in that of him and John walking around the kind of uh, Long Mile Road, Crumlin area uh, together before. You know, I think I saw. I think I remember that. I think yeah. I it's just that. there's a little snippet of it uh, yeah. in the in the documentary trailer, but the raw footage, I don't know, has to be has to be somewhere and needs to be located. <laughs> did um, oh god, was it Dim Marquez? Did he do something yeah, on Dim Marquez for did um, uh, MTV yeah. Rise of Conor McGregor? Yeah, we helped him with that as well. We did a, a couple of interviews for him and, and other things like that. But uh, yeah, that was mainly his project. Uh, and as a dog go mad, there we might we might as well get into the. Uh, the actual the four episodes here itself because I thought overall before we get into the actual episodes I thought I thought they did a very good job and when I say they I'll, I'll go they rather than you here Greg, rather than giving you all the credit but I thought it was a great job of making Conor McGregor likeable which is probably a hard thing to do at this stage of his career, like, and when I mean at this stage of his career, I mean like the fights that happened there, like the Habib fight, where it got very kind of nasty at times. And I, we have a few questions about that. We will get to the questions here uh, in a second as well. But even like the the second Poria fight, but there was kind of like a redemption. Well, I don't think I, I think if, if people don't like him before, they're probably not going to like him afterwards. I think it just shows the kind of more human side, maybe. To I actually got, all I, these documentaries kind of do that. I did, I suppose. But and like, like, let's be honest here. It's a Conor McGregor documentary from a Conor McGregor point of view. So I was like, it's it, this is not an independent hit piece documentary or anything like that. Or not even like yeah, it's, it's not it's not an expose. Or, no, no, you know, an investigative yeah. like journalism documentary. It's a fly on the wall documentary. Yeah. Like we, we were filming the fly on the wall documentary and then ROS took that and mixed in talking heads and narration from from like, you know, journalists and teammates and yeah. coaches and things like that. And I and I think like I don't think anyone's shying away from that or anything. And I think if people are looking for something else, like the you know, I don't think anyone is saying that this is it, but I, I thought it like because the arc from the Habib fight, which like it definitely didn't show the Habib fight as nasty as it got in the documentary, but I think a lot of people knew. But then to show like the Poirier fight where 
he was nice to Poirier and he was and uh, sorry the, the cowboy fight first where he was nice to cowboy it like if and you know there, there was him after the fights when he lost when he was kind of crying backstage but even him with you know the Connor Jr and his other kids and you know before the when what the, the one of the Poirier fights when uh, he was kind of sitting in the sitting room and Connor Jr came over like saying oh look there's people fighting on the telly and Connor was like, Connor was like uh, I'm going to be fighting there later on he's like no way <laughs> you know and then he started boxing him and stuff that was absolutely hilarious like and you can you like I feel like you got to read sense of Connor is actually like a family man which is very hard to see on the outside because you don't read really, like you see a bit of that on Instagram and stuff but it's hard to know on Instagram as well you know what's real and what's not and I suppose you could say the same about the, the documentary but you saw like real moments like whether it's his emotion after fights as I mentioned or his emotion with, with the family and you're know, hanging around with D and different things like that he, and like I, I, there's a friend of mine texts me and he like does not like Connor and he does not like MMA and he was like I watched like the first two episodes or something like that, and he's like Jesus it's it, it's making me like him again kind of thing you know which is and like there's I, I'll speak for a lot of the people out there who haven't liked Connor over the last few years and maybe did like him before that it's you know that's definitely thing. There's no doubt about it, and it. I think that it did a great job of showing that. But I thought when the four, I don't know if this is on purpose or not, or maybe this is like a very inside MMA thing. But it was like the tough time against Habib, and then kind of good times against uh, Cerrone, and then he was like really happy, kind of during that happy after it, everything went well, and then obviously the Paria lost, and then he was fighting to come back, but. When he f- when he lost to Paria and he went into the second fight and they showed him in the press conference, I really thought that was like a great clip to show because everything up until then, from the, say the good parts, but even after the for- the, the loss in the the middle Paria fight, it was like right, I'm going to get back, I'm going to work hard. But then they showed him in the press conference and he was like, you know, your wife's your husband sort of thing, and it just felt like there was a click there. It's like. No, this is not. This actually not right. This is not real, Connor. Like this is not Connor. That you know is natural. That we saw at the start of his career, or even him trying to be nice, or even him like being the family man, or being a change person. This is him trying to be the old Connor. This is him trying to recapture it, and it just was unnatural and didn't seem right. And when he got into the fight, he like maybe you can speak more about this, Graham, and we can go through it. But like that injury, he knew. It felt like like because him saying like oh we'll get the diagnosis and we'll decide if we're gonna fight or not basically that's not like something Connor would ever say before and you could probably speak more to that but it felt like he was very unnatural coming into that fight and part of that maybe was the injury that he knew there was something wrong and then he broke and it was like almost fucking inevitable at that stage was that do you know if that was kind of on purpose in the documentary to kind of do it that way or was it just kind of the natural ebb of it um, well, I wasn't the the edit took place in LA and uh, with ROS in LA, so uh, Los Angeles. So I wasn't in the edit, but uh, you know, yeah, it, it, that could be that could be the kind of the reason for that. I, you know, I saw people saying, "Oh, why didn't you include, you know, the Paulie Spar? Why didn't you include the Dustin? Why why he changed from Dustin or whatever?" And you know, I don't know exactly what, why the editor shows that, but maybe you know, we don't have Dustin side of things with the with the charity donation, and it's it's a bit of a messy situation and. You know, but that I think that was uh, the thing that you know turned the relationship between from respect to par- between Connor to or from Connor to Parier to you know the kind of 
my or your wife's in my DMs or whatever, all that stuff that you, that you mentioned a minute ago. But yeah, maybe that was something that should have been explored in the documentary. But you know, you can't get everything in as well. Like people are like, oh, still no Paulie Malinaji footage. Why didn't you put in this? Why didn't you put in the old man in the bar? And you know, you can't really go into everything. I can understand people's, um, you know, wanting certain things that they're more interested in as well. But yeah, uh, you know, decisions have to be made in the edit room, and you know. Um, you know, things were left out or things were, weren't co- weren't covered in to the extent that some people wanted and things like that. But I think that's just always going to be the way. Yeah, and, and like, I, I think people will kind of understand that. Uh, we, apologies there for the dogs. I think we have them under control now. Anyway. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll move on. But uh, yeah, well, as I said, we'll answer a few questions in a second. Um, I mentioned the, the ankle injury, Graham. And if, you know, we've talked about this down through the years, you know, in private, but on, also on the podcast as well. And it's a very... It's a very easy thing to talk about with McGregor in terms of like the injuries and him ignoring them because we've seen him in the old documentaries as well. Like he gets the injury against um, uh, against uh, uh, Chad Mendes and sorry, sorry, before the Chad Mendes fight, we saw the clip of it with Owen Roddy and all that, and he's like, "Oh, my first day." You know, even even before that, I know I know we didn't go into it mm-hmm. uh, much in the the documentary series on RTE, but. He also had an injured hand going into the, the original Justin Poirier fight. You know, pretty much every fight for every fighter, they pick up some kind of injury. It's just, is the injury too much to deal with? And some people are, you know, more willing to pull out than others. And Connor's just one of those that always tries to battle through. And I think, like, you know, we showed that with the two ACL problems and the knees, the knee problems that he had going into the Mendez fight, as you were mentioning there. And this one, it was... It, it, you know, it's funny, myself and Harry, we actually recorded a podcast yesterday, coming out on Thursday for the Speaker's Corner, and we kind of, we talked a little bit about McGregor, and how he had convinced himself, you know, basically the secret sort of stuff, everything's going to be fine, everything is for a reason, and I'm going to get there, and it worked for him, right, and it felt like this four-part documentary showed that that is no longer the case, right? That you can't keep doing that. It's not always going to work. Like episode one, the biggest part of it was, I suppose, at the very start when, you know, they showed the the broken foot, the dislocated uh, toes kind of thing, whether it was a broken foot or not. I don't know if you ever find out, Graham, or, or whatever. Maybe you could tell us. But didn't Habib fight? And like... You know, that's where the kind of whole my foot was a balloon thing came from and all of that. And I know we, we have b- briefly mentioned it before in the podcast. And I don't know how much you can talk about these things and, and all of that. But we saw it in the documentary. So it's, uh, I, I suppose we're kind of free enough to talk about it. But that injury, it felt like, right, to me, and I don't know if you, you felt the same, obviously looking at the, the, the more extended clips and stuff, that it was way worse than he wanted to acknowledge to himself. It was like, this fucking injury was really bad. He knew it. He popped the toes back in. He's like, okay, it's fine. That's grand. And he's like, he he decided in that very moment he was fighting and that was it. And like, that's probably the moment you should say, and you know, the doctor should probably say, or whoever's around him should probably say, here, Connor, we have to get a fucking x-ray. We have to get a scan or whatever it might be it is. Let's see if there's big damage. And if there is, you're not having this fucking fight because it's too big. You even see what happens. You know, it's hard to, he's a hard man to talk to. If you you see when he goes to the LA Rams um, NFL facility and, the the LA Rams physio and Dr. Neil Ella Trasher, you know, there's a scan there and they're, they're kind of, Connor's always just asking, oh, how can I train around this? How, what can you do to help me? Like, you know, I'll be grand if as long as I can do this, this and this, I'll be fine. That was you know? that was after the, the foot break though, wasn't it? Or the, yeah, but that's, that's yeah. always the mentality of, oh, yeah. you know, I can work around it. You see him with the, is that scene still in when he has the pins in his, 
in his hand. In his hand, yeah. And he's, he's yeah, you know, he's trying From to work the rower with right his weird sorry. technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in it. Just yeah. to work around it, you know. That's just the attitude. That's just the mentality and mindset of uh, nothing's going to stop me. It's just another obstacle, you know. That's just the way he's always been. But that's grand training like that. But going into a fight like that, uh, just it, f- it feels like now it used to be a thing that made Conor yeah, McGregor. You think oh, if I can get through, if I can get through the camp, then you know there's only what like maximum 25 minutes possibly shorter uh, to get through the fight so that's probably you know the thinking that's going on in the head if I can just get through the camp if I can use this f- foot cast thing or whatever uh, and use like you know deep tissue massages or whatever whatever I'm not an expert in physiotherapy or whatever but I can get through this you know I've gotten through ACLs as like you know worse things than this and all so this, the same thing applies to the the toes and the you know the hand and the 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 uh, all the injuries, you know, and Connor's not the only one, you know, everybody, everybody gets injuries in MMA, but you know, sometimes the, <laughs> most people would pull out and it's probably advisable to pull out. Do you think that toe foot injury was worse than he let on maybe like, well, like, you know, I know work was going on on that toe all the way up until the fight. You know, we, we saw a bit of it with uh, Dr. Heather Linden in the UCPI in, in Las Vegas, you know, she was working on that toe and uh, it definitely did restrict um, you know, kind of training a little bit, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, every fighter and every camp has has you know to work around things. So it's hard to know exactly how much, how much you know the, the mindset going in or the the bad blood or the injuries or the you know it's hard to know um, which factors played played and which factors played the most or or if it was a combination of many factors. Yeah, and like I suppose the end of the. the first episode was the Habib fight and the crying afterwards and I suppose one of the biggest clips that's gone around from it is like the post Habib fight where he's like cry- I, I, where he's you know crying and stuff but I, I think a massive part of this after every fight there's always that one sentence from Connor is like you know someone <laughs> and I you know I, I was actually talking to a few people about this I was watching the documentary there's nothing you can say it to a fighter afterwards but always someone tries to say something and then he always comes out with like the well I lost and that's all that matters you know and there's nothing you can say after that and it's like you know the bottom line yeah, is this yeah but he like that's that's actually brilliant like because that's the first step of kind of fucking moving on and going to the next thing which you kind of have to do while still acknowledging what fucking happened so like episode two was the broken hand as you mentioned the the, the I, i've written on a quote the politics of the prize which he said yeah, uh, we didn't go into it uh mm-hmm. in the documentary but there was, like he got uh surgery on that hand and then you know something went wrong and the pin Something went wrong with the pain and it had to be yeah. fixed again. He so there was, that, there was think, actually yeah. a lot more to that. It went on a lot longer, but obviously you can't go into in depth and absolutely everything because you're trying to tell the story. You're, like you know, obviously MMA fans have seen the press conferences and things like that, but a lot of people who are going to be watching it aren't Conor McGregor fans or don't follow the UFC or don't follow MMA. So you kind of have to, you know, understand that the people editing it have to kind of. Uh, cater for a lot of different audiences, especially on Netflix, where it's going to ninety odd countries or whatever it is. Yeah, and it did feel though once that injury, like most of McGregor's injuries, it feels like they stay with him for a long time. And even though that didn't get great, now I remember there was a scene where he said to Gunny, "Oh, he went wrong, and I had to kind of do it again and stuff." But like when it got better, it was better, and he kind of said that himself, and he kind of put it out of his mind. Whereas the knees and stuff, it felt like they've affected him for a while. But the um, the having the Cerrone fight, the um, the pandemic coming, him not being able to get a fight and all, it felt like 
you know, you you could see from the outside because he was, you know, we saw the we saw the tweet coming that he was retiring and he was gone. And he was talking about retiring, and that even kind of went into episode three as well. I think um, it it felt like it felt like he was just sick of it at that stage because he wanted to get that season, which he's obviously spoken about before, and he spoke about himself. He wasn't able to get it, and it felt like it was just unbelievably frustrating for it. And you know, he was still even at that stage talking about like. I have to give it all away to get it back, you know? I need so much money at this stage that it was almost impossible and all he wanted to do was fight, you know? And when he couldn't fight, it felt like he, he just... It felt like the frustration levels he had were just unbelievable. And, you know, then there was the clip of him watching... Uh, well, you know, he had laid out, mm-hmm. you know, pretty clearly in a lot of media that he wanted to do a season. He yes. wanted to fight three, four times. And, you know, he got the first victory and he's looking to go again. He was, you know, I think, did he release the DMs with Dana like a month he after did, or yeah. even less after the Cerrone fight? He was messaging, looking for another fight. Obviously, Corona came along. The UFC couldn't sell tickets. Uh, at the arena but like oh, I don't know they probably could have done a ridiculous pay-per-view number if they had of you know everybody sitting at home there's no other sports on at the time like it's easy to forget how how locked down how shut down everything was that was uh, the biggest the mistake they ever made remember Tony Ferguson and Gaethje did like fucking 750,000 like McGregor could have done fucking 3 million like I'm not even joking I'm not even joking he would have yeah. done a massive number they fucked that up Riley I think yeah, I think that, like, you know, obviously there's more going on that we don't know about probably in the, you know, the the the, the brass of uh, ahead of Dana White and all that stuff. But, yeah, to me, and it seemed a very mind-boggling decision. And obviously it did really frustrate Connor and, you know, had him, you know, saying he was going to pack it all in and retire. But I think, you know, most people knew that it was. And the talking heads that came into the documentary straight away were like, ah, this is just a, I think Joe Rogan was saying, Conor McGregor wants you to talk about him, you're talking about him, or uh, this is just a negotiation and things like that. So I think, yeah, pretty much people knew that uh, yeah. it wasn't going to be the end, like the I, end of Conor McGregor. He's retired a few times at this stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> on thanks, Twitter. Thanks for the cheese. I remember him watching the Habib fight and Habib retire, it was like, if he was ever talking about retiring, like, there's no one retiring on the McGregor, because him watching that is like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe he's retiring, you know? So, but I think... Yeah, well, we were, were the same when we probably got to go back and listen to the podcast, but, yeah. you know, maybe the fact that he sat down with his mum and... Uh, no, but I, I actually stuff, mean... But, uh, I, like, you know... Uh, from Connor's point of view, like, Connor's oh, like, sorry, I, yeah. I could never go out the way he just went out kind of thing, you know? Which... I think from Habib's point of view, obviously we we were probably off on that one, but he's like, I could never do what he kind of did point of view. But that Habib stuff, it feels like, you know, (laughs) it was it was interesting to Dylan Dennis jumping into the crowd and all that was in the earlier ones. But the the Habib hate running through it all, yeah. You know what? It probably could have been a bit more. He could probably do a whole documentary on just that alone, I suppose. But um, one part just before we went to maybe the final episode, Graham, the weight cutting scene. Which was pretty fucking awful, and no, we all know about weight cutting, but like, for a guy who used to fight ten pounds, ten pounds lower, to look yeah, at the struggle he made there, yeah. it was ridiculous. I was going to say, I wish we had footage. Um, you know, obviously Connor left us film pretty much over the years, over the last what eleven, twelve years, he left us film pretty much whatever. Uh, you know, fly on the wall, just gonna be there, uh, whenever we can or whatever, uh, whenever something's going on, but we weren't allowed into those weight cuts to 145 and that's probably a testament or that's probably a indication of how how dire they were for him and you know not so much in this film or in the notorious um 2017 
documentary, you kind of see how how drained he is. Like you, you'd get an electric shock if you touched him. He, you know, even Dana White comments in, in that documentary about how crazy he looks and how crazy weight cutting is uh, when you when it's done to this extreme. So, yeah, if you can imagine how difficult it is for for fighters to cut the amount of weight that Conor cuts to get to one fifty five, uh, comparing it to one forty five, it probably would have been, you know, the footage is probably. If we had got the footage, it probably would have been in you know scary stuff because yeah, it's 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 a it's a real struggle to get down to one fifty five and getting down to one forty five for a man of of his frame even at the time, you know it it, it was it was a, a bigger fight to Connor than the actual fight. Once Connor had made weight at one forty five, he'd act he'd be acting and uh, kind of in a, in a in a mood as if he would just won the fight and that the you know the fight is the easy part. It's the it's the making weight and getting rehydrated. That's the that was the big struggle back then at one forty five. Yeah, and. I suppose it was really bad the way they showed it there, but then the leg break was even worse because, like, it felt like it felt like afterwards. You know, when we we may, maybe talked about it on the podcast, but he talked about it afterwards that he he knew it was going to be hurt um, coming into the fight. He knew it was hurt coming into the fight, but he knew it was like not stable. Like it felt like, do you know, sometimes they say a person knows their own body even better than the scans or the doctors. It felt like that was the case here. And for the first time ever, he kind of was even. Well, also those scans came and he was training after that for, I don't know how long, like a week or two or however long it was. So obviously you're, yeah. you're probably going to take more damage uh, moving around even and taking kicks and giving kicks and even standing on it. Obviously it, it snapped in the cage when he stood on it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a kick. It just felt like there was something there that the scans didn't see or that someone didn't spot or whatever. Like it, had it to could be. be that or it could have gotten worse from then. Yeah. You know, a bone bruise could probably turn into a hairline fracture. I don't know. Like I'm no orthopedic uh, expert or anything, but uh yeah, even if that's the right <laughs> the right word, but um, yeah, it, you know, he, he, I think everybody you can see from the footage, and you know, everybody kind of knew that uh, it was there was a there was a risk being taken. Do you think like Connor was able to get away with the risk being taken before? Because it was you know stay ready until you don't have to get ready stuff. If he you know if he fought um, if he was in camp three months in the year. Or for, let's say four months of the year, he was actually probably training like eleven months of the year, so it didn't make that much of a difference. But now, if he was in camp, you know, for one fight, he was probably only in camp for ten weeks, and there, you know, the other nine months of the year, he actually wasn't in camp. It, like, that has to be. Well, a I suppose big the more problem. hindrances and the more kind of obstacles, or the more kind of work you leave yourself, or the the more things you have to work around in order to to stay healthy and stay fit, the, you know, the harder it is to concentrate on other things. And yeah, maybe it's a, you know, in your twenties, your body's, a bit, I know myself in my thirties, my body's falling apart. So obviously I'm not a, an athlete. I don't take care of my body <laughs> at all compared to, you know, UFC athletes and things like that. But yeah, it's probably a number of things. It's probably, you know, not being in the same shape, um, you know, constantly like to stay ready days as you mentioned it used to be like a, a big saying of connor's but obviously he has loads of things pulling him in different directions he has other business um opportunities that he's capitalized on you know brilliantly for himself and all that so yeah i suppose you know when you're when you've nothing else to do and you can just stay in the gym the whole time and all that stuff you probably you probably can get get over things easier age comes into it and things like that i, I don't know what the, what the answer is really 
Myself and yeah, as I said earlier on, myself and Harry have done like another podcast about basically this as well, but not necessarily just the documentary, but fighters in general. And when they get to this stage of their career, the you know the the, the toughness of being able to keep it up, whether it's having loads of good things or having loads of bad things. And uh, you know, McGregor has had uh, lots of both of them. You know, mostly momentum and like we talk about mm-hmm. it on the podcast, like you know, undefeated fighters or people on win streaks and things like that, or you know guy coming off a couple of losses there's extra pressure on things like that it's the same for you know anybody conor mcgregor the the john jones gsp anderson silva we've seen these guys after they lose their belt talk about the the pressure of these big fights and things like that and nearly being a relief and stuff like that so they're like you know there's a lot of pressure going on there there's just a lot of things going on um you know there's a lot of people wanting to see you lose there's a lot of people want to see you win there's people doubting you all, all that stuff so yeah it's the momentum, I think, of, of winning fights definitely helps as well. Like I think, think that's something that's maybe a little bit overlooked in, in yeah. sports in general, about confidence and momentum. It is true. It's true. Um, I think the, f- the final thing before we move on to the couple of questions for me, and the, just I, I spoke at the start about the overall feel of the documentary, and I, fo- I suppose the overall feel coming up to the end was a bit like, oh, there's a little bit of like the... We we saw before the Paria match a bit bit of the like oh this is why people don't like Connor after them reminding us why people do like Connor for three episodes really but then I think it kind of was brought back again to where it's like it's not that you have an opinion on whether you like him or don't like him but it's it's kind of like geez I'd love to see this lad win another fight kind of thing and I, it's a similar thing I don't know if anyone watched the. Uh, the, 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 the golf version of Drive to Survive and they did a similar thing with Brooks Kepka who has like was you know won a lot of stuff uh, years ago and now has kind of gone bad and is kind of trying to make his way back but struggling to do that and I think even he's not maybe the most likable character in the world either but I think a lot of people watching including myself is like Jesus I wouldn't mind seeing him win something else you know you'd lo- love to see someone actually get that bit of redemption and it felt like that was what the yeah, well, that's like, you know, people end. letting people in on their journey, letting them see behind the scenes. And Connor's been absolutely, you know, phenomenal over the years, like letting, you know, Severe MMA at the start come in. And, you know, we didn't have a resume or anything come in and film and really like let us into his life and kind of trust, trust us and not be shy and be himself and, you know, show us different sides of him and things like that. And, and obviously, you know, it, it humanizes him and shows, yeah, he's not, he's not perfect. He has his flaws or whatever, but like, you know, he, he, at the end of the day, he's just a, a guy trying to, you know, go out there, capitalize on opportunities, win fights. And that's what's driving him. And kind of that's what's been driving him. You know, he was obsessed with the game. Like we, you, you talked about that um, 2012 interview with Severe MMA, the one that kind of pops up in all, in all of these documentaries. Um, he's talking about it being obsessed with the game. And obviously, you know, now, nowadays, probably back then, MMA is running through his head. He's going to sleep watching animals wrestling on YouTube and things like that. He's probably not doing that anymore. But I Although, think you'd see in the doc- what about that fucking crocodile alligator scene? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's probably not the same extent of obsession with, with the game because obviously other things are pulling them in different directions. But, you know, I, I think, you know, he's kind of, in a lot of ways, his life and his, his growth as a person through all this fame has played out in a really public setting. And, you know, he hasn't really shied away from that. He's he's kind of, you know, used it to, to show himself and to kind of humanize himself and to let people to kind of be on the journey with him and feel like they're on the journey with him and feel like they know. Yeah, and it, it felt like a person who we all thought, maybe, maybe apart from yourself, like, has gotten away from that away from being like one of us 
it made him feel like he was actually just a normal person through a lot of this documentary, which was, you know, a good sign, a good sign. And like some people are calling it like a puff piece and stuff, which we, you know, we talked about earlier. It was like, yeah, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> but like it, it did the fucking job, you know, it, it did the job with it. Uh, let's just answer a few of the questions and we'll move on. And obviously talk about the well, like it's a fly stuff. on the wall, like yeah, footage mixed wall, in yeah. with talking heads and, and like yeah. things like that and narration. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously it's. It's not to everybody's liking or whatever, but it seems to have gone over well with most of the fans. Obviously, yeah. you know, the Irish media, very begrudging when it comes to Connor, even MMA in general, even before there was any controversies or things like that. So, you know, they're obviously, yeah, some people are going to stick to the narratives or whatever, or find the things that kind of back up what they think. But I think a lot of people will, you know, just look at it as you know he's a human guy and a lot of weird a lot of mad stuff has happened to him and he's 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 a bit of a mad character but he's yeah he's just a he's just a regular enough <laughs> in some ways guy yeah indeed um so a couple of the questions uh, you know a few of the questions you kind of touched sure, like on. you know would you would, me or you would probably be absolute lunatics if we had ah, some sh- money and fame and all that stuff I'd, I'd be, <laughs> happened I'd, to uh, us if that happened to us when we were in our early 20s you definitely know definitely be dead definitely be dead you know? <laughs> I get 20 quid now and I'm gone fucking mad <laughs> but uh yeah we'll answer a couple of questions so um uh there's a few people have asked this Kabina why didn't you include more about uh, the likes of the assault? Uh, surely that's a critical part of the story. Why did he not reference the heavy drinking reported uh, by his camp in the build-up to the Habib fight? Uh, why didn't you interview anyone outside of the McGregor camp? I, I don't think there. Yeah, I, I don't think there was, um, you know, heavy drinking going on in the Habib camp like that. We just it left felt out, like you know. there was though, didn't there? Like he was. Well, uh, no, it's not that we left out. It's like you know, mm-hmm. uh, if Connor's going for a drink or something by himself, like he's not telling me, he's not telling Dara, he's not telling bring a camera or whatever. If he's having a, if he's having in a hotel room, he's having a drink or something. I I don't know about it. Like you know, he's not. <laughs> we don't film absolutely everything. Like you know, just sometimes there's not footage for things, or sometimes you know the narration will kind of say that things went off the rails, or they. He said he says um um I wasn't fully committed or outside of the the cage. You know, I don't think. I, 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 yeah, I can see some things that other people said, oh, you should have included, but that one, yeah, I, I don't really see that one as being a big what, deal. What about like some of the legal problems? And he's like, he's gone through yeah. a lot of different things, you know. Yeah. With, well, with the, the Dolly and the court case and the community service were in yeah. there as well. Like, um, yeah, you know, the, the lad with the, the phone wasn't the, there. Uh, yeah, the, well, the like, what happened with that? Barn. That was just like he threw a phone on the floor, allegedly, or something. Like, I don't know. Is that, that important? I don't know. Yeah, I but, don't know. Maybe it is to some people, but I don't know. Maybe other people don't care about that. Like, you know, for me, I'm obviously in this footage. I'm in this Conor McGregor world, like for a lot of years. And sometimes maybe my perspective is is completely different to somebody on the outside, and I can't see the what the wood the wood from the trees is. That what they say? That's but, the one. I think I always get that one. Yeah, but yeah, it's, even in the edit, or even in while the edits are going on, and you're seeing rough edits, and you've already seen the footage a lot of times, and you kind of stuff that was funny the first time it happened might not be funny anymore because you've seen it so many times so you like you know you sometimes it's hard to know um you know what's what's the best thing when you when you've been so deep in the footage for so many years i I think from my point of view right i would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that to see his reaction to it to see like him going through it like let's say someone makes a fucking allegation about him whether it's punching him in the head or whatever it might be or you know him punching him in the head or whatever it might be and then him like 
thinking about a court case or you know like yeah. I can't believe yeah, sometimes this person I, 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 as I said I wasn't in the edit as well mm. I was in LA but maybe some things I'm no legal expert but maybe some things like, yeah, you know, are better not that. spoken about and or not you know it's some things that some things can't be just, spoken about either from our yeah, point or of view maybe you're not allowed to talk about or I, I don't know the legal the legal ins and outs of that but maybe some decisions were made on, on that tact but yeah it's 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 hard for me to, to say yeah, I, I think people need to realise we're in Ireland as well and people know the laws in Ireland are very, very, very restrictive. Um, so a lot of that, you know, a lot of that stuff actually can't be put in or talked about and things. Um, but I, I would love to see, as I said earlier on, it's, uh, there could be two or three more documentaries made out of this period, like the Habib period, but also like the McGregor kind of, the dark side of Conor McGregor, if you want to put it for, uh, that way, but with him included, like him talking about all that. And maybe there's, some stuff that like you know some of these things take years and years and years to like uh reach a natural in before he probably can talk about them or whatever so i think there is probably there's probably you know there's probably a case for another couple of documentaries uh outside of that but i i would kind of tend to agree that i think there could have been a little bit more of that but while there was a bit of it as well um most of it was stuff he kind of kind of came through uh one or two more the malinagy footage as well you mentioned that i uh, that was something though that everyone wanted to see. I feel like, but if I you think it was because I think did, yeah. I don't know. People keep replying to uh, on Twitter and things like that, saying, "Oh, John, when are you going to release it?" So John must have said John Cavanaugh must have said something about the footage being released at some stage or something. But but if you were to you release know, the Malinagi footage, you'd need to release like a fucking thirty six minutes bar or whatever. Like, what are you yeah, going to put in the documentary? Like? As well, so yeah. there's two spars. I don't know. People are just they're just always looking to kind of pick holes and things. Other people have valid criticisms. Other people, you know. They don't like the style, understandable. It's not their thing. No, but whatever, in fairness, but. on the Malinagi one, I think I think people are just genuine about that one. They're like, oh, we'd love to see it. It's a pity wasn't in it. But like, I actually don't understand how you could even put that in because like, it'd just be a whole episode and <laughs> just like, that, they should add that as an added so, uh, like, Christmas the special. Pacing and the narrative structure and things like that are things that are taken into account when on an edit as well. And some things are, you know, dropped for, for reasons like that. And it's... Uh, maybe aren't seen as as important as maybe they are to other people, you know, people who are maybe nitpicking those types of things, but yeah. maybe it's not nitpicking. Maybe, maybe they're right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, last one. So we'll, we'll move on from there. Will there be more Graham? Do you think there's going to be more? Um, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I, I don't see why, why he would stop now. If he's planning on coming back, like, like it looks like he is, then yeah. Why, why wouldn't there be? I, I, I'd guess. Indeed, and I, I hope there is. Like, I think there's a lot more to uh, a lot more to tell and a lot more to talk about in that. So, right, let's move on. Francis Ngannou, Graham. Um, I I actually did a a sure dog thing about this, so maybe I'll, I'll let you start. Uh, what was your initial reaction to Francis's whole news? Him signing for um, PFL. My initial reaction was to kind of be like, hmm, it sounds great, but I'm a skeptic and. Um, I, uh, I'm just kind of like uh, I need to wait and see what happens. You know, the one thing that I will say, if if he is getting, if his opponents are going to get two million, that will create a good incentive for somebody who you know fight out their contract or you know uh, uh, an overeem or somebody like that or I don't know, I can't really think off the top of my head of too many viable um uh, people who aren't already signed to like a major promotion, but. You know, uh, it will be a pretty big fight. Um, I'm just, I'm just skeptical. Obviously, the boxing, if 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 the PFL deal is as it is, is as it seems in in the the, the press release, 
and he's able to get himself a really good boxing deal, then it's, then it's fantastic. And it's great for whoever comes in and fights him because they're, they're getting two million or whatever. But it's still up in the air to me. It's still yet to be decided if, if this has worked out for him or not. We also, I don't know if it's been reported or speculated on, we actually don't know exactly how much he was offered by the UFC. You know, Dana has said things and Francis has said that's not exactly true or don't believe everything they say or things like that. So, um. I think it's still up in the air for me whether or not it's... I'm glad he's got this deal. He seems happy with it. You know, it, it, it could have been a lot worse. You know, it could have been a lot worse. When this first happened, like, you know, it could have been a lot worse in my opinion. But if he if he can add a uh, lucrative boxing match to this, then he's laughing and it's, it's definitely a success. But it's yet to be seen in my opinion. Yeah. I actually didn't see your, uh, your take on it, so I'm interested. I'm kind of wanting to agree with you. Like, my biggest worry for Francis always was the long term, right? And that worry is still there because he signed a two or three fight deal with PFL. So the long term worry is still there. Now, he he has got himself such a good deal possibly that he mightn't even need to worry about the long term because like he has a box of match, three fights in the high millions and he's, you know, thanks for the cheese. Good luck. He's nearly 40 years of age anyway. So maybe that doesn't even matter. I, do you know, my, my thoughts were the same as yours, like... I'm very skeptical about this whole PFL thing because the only thing I like about the PFLD, right, is it's what did I say, high seven figures. So, what would high seven figures be? Six to nine million, something like that. So, um, that's a good deal per fight. You know, you said the, himself in the UFC kind of disagreed. I think, I think they both kind of said around seven million per fight, right? Um, but that was going to be uh, a similar, similarly linted deal, I think, but with the possibility of going on a little bit longer, um, which I don't know. And none of the kind of extra uh, uh, unused before kind of stipulations in the contract that you didn't want to agree with that maybe other promotions were more likely to agree with. And, you know, if PFL is around for the next 10, 20 years and he's an ambassador or he's involved in EFC Africa and that's a success, he probably has set himself up for, you know, a a good retirement. But that that all is yet to be... um, yet to be seen what's going to happen with that you know hopefully pfl will grow and become this you know worldwide phenomenon and you know become a a known name in casuals mind and continue to grow 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 and be you know challenge ufc or whatever whatever their their goals are but we've seen mma promotions come and go a lot so yeah i love like i like pfl i hope it does well but it's it's definitely not as um you know, stable uh, a proposition as the UFC is. Let me read out a couple of the keys here. So there was a, uh, an article by John Nash, but also stuff that Francis said in his own video. And in, I think he did an article with, um, I think it was the New York Times. Or no, it was uh, the Zone, I think, actually. So the deal with PFL was agreed two months ago. As you mentioned, Graham, PFL Africa, I think he's going to be on the board kind of on that. He may have a tune-up fight in 2023 and boxing a tune-up match. And then we wants to match up with Deontay Wilder. We'll, you know, we can talk about that in a second. Um, he said he'd be looking at the PFL tournament for a possible uh, opponent. As you said, Graham, two million for his opponent is guaranteed. Um, he still wants to fight John Jones if it could be worked out. Well, that's grand. If it was up to him, he'd fight Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder next and then from the John Nash article as I said two or three fights guaranteed high seven figure uh, a split of the net profits um, a signing bonus uh, or salary to serve as a brand ambassador for PFL a right to have his own sponsors in the cage non-exclusive regards to boxing no champions clause or other extensions a minimum salary uh, for his opponents which I mentioned I, I think just a couple of parts there in the middle right 
Um, a spin of events, net profits. Net profits, yeah. <laughs> How much is it going to be Ben BFL? Maybe, maybe that is. I don't know. Maybe that is a thing that's gonna. They're gonna have a big show for a pay per view, and it's gonna be something. But that sounds like something a Liverpool a fan would be well. like. It remains to be seen. Just as I said, a lot of things remain to be seen. But it's 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 a. Uh, it definitely has potential to to work. So that's uh, it, like that's if, something. But if they're playing Francis fucking eight or nine million, they're not going to have any net profits, are they? Like, so he's not going to be getting anything from that. I, I just think that's one of those things that like. I, I said on the Sherlock shows, like, I sent it to a friend of mine like who's involved in finance, and he kind of said to me, oh, like, this is written from the point of view of someone who wants to make it look like they got a great deal. Um, while maybe still being a great deal, I think it very much is that. Um, having his own sponsors, I, I, it's weird on too. Like, I know he couldn't have sponsors in the UFC, but like, why didn't he have a massive sponsor outside of the UFC? I, I, I don't know. Like, hopefully he'll be able to get one, but I like when he's his own manager and all like that. I don't think that's as easy said than done. But I think the crux of this here, right, is in as I said, the short term, medium term. The short term, if he can get a big box of match and earn a load of money, that's great. But in the medium term, he has basically gotten the exact same amount of money from PFL, a little bit less, as John Nash said uh, in his thing as well. Let me just read you out this. Um, the short sentence he said uh, it's very unlikely that the UFC offer would have paid him uh, more over the three fights in his new PFL deal as uh, Jones fight would have potentially paid him more than 10 million once his pay-per-view bonuses added so maybe I misread that there but the UFC would have paid him more than 10 million per fight with the pay-per-view added obviously the PFL is not going to be able to pay as much as that uh, it would have well, paid more than what, like you know maybe a part of it was a bit of respect or a bit of like, you know. Yeah, indeed. But he wants you to care here. Like. Yeah, but he's gotten a deal that is not on par, definitely not on par with it, I don't think, as the sentence I just read out there uh, says. But not far away from it. And plus, if he can get a big boxing match, it will take him over and above that. So he's got everything he wanted. He got his freedom. He got easier matchups and all of that uh, as well for uh, the same or maybe slightly more money or maybe just slightly less. Which is like, I didn't think he could do, to be honest. And fair play to him for doing that. Um, and I, like at the end of the day, I, and I said it on, on the video I did the other day as well, but like my main thing about being critical of Francis not taking the UFC deal was like, I was hoping he wouldn't get fucking screwed. Like I was hoping he was not, he was turning down this massive deal. And like, where the fuck are you going to get that money? Now, BFL have promised him that money. But, like, Graham, we've been around for a long time, right? How the fuck can PFL afford to pay him this amount of money? Maybe once. Well, they're, definitely, they're definitely in for the long haul in their yeah, but at are the they? moment. Anyway, if they're putting money into Jake Paul, they're putting money, big money into Francis and Ganu, they're starting this pay-per-view division, you know, they're, they're definitely making a go of it. But, you know, uh, affliction... You know, affliction yeah. kind of went for the same kind of. They maybe they they went a lot quicker at the at the kind of the trying to sell pay per views of big stars. They they kind of didn't build up the way PFL did, but you know they had some big backers behind them. Even people like Donald Trump were involved, and that that didn't uh, did, didn't last very long. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of like with you, where maybe you know I hope they have a really good plan for this and they're in it for the long haul, but. But like maybe yeah, they do have a plan, but like you maybe you can pay seven. They're gonna need a pay per view to do well, you know. And yeah. uh, how much are you gonna charge for this pay per view? Are people just gonna legally stream it? Like, do they have the kind of mechanisms to shut that down? 
uh, uh, the same way you, even though the UFC can't even shut it down. Like you know, it's easy mm-hmm. to get a, a HD. 4k whatever you want stream of any boxing ufc bellator or whatever you know are they going to be able to be on the espn pay-per-view or are they going to have to go to normal pay-per-view like i can't see the ufc being very open about allowing them to be on their platform that they've built basically as well like i think that's another factor people are kind of forgetting as well like a lot of people in america have cut the card and are now on like youtube uh pre youtube uh whatever it's called where they don't even have the television and they can't even get a pay-per-view that way and may, you know, maybe they'll get it but like it's very different to the pay-per-view scene with as you said streaming but also just being able to get it and card cutters now I, I think it's a very very different situation than it was before plus you, you're not the UFC it's not a UFC pay-per-view plus who is he going to fight like if he fights Verdum and puts it on pay-per-view like that's not doing I don't think 750,000 buys if he did fight, what, what, what about bring back Uberim and have it not in Las Vegas? And, yeah, but he uh, knocked Uberim's spark out. Uh, like, you know, do people even remember that? <laughs> like I, I, we, what, we do, but like. yeah. Well, what you said before, like, see, there's a thing about what you said before. Like, if you're, let's say you're Tom Aspinall and you have two fights left in your contract and you're fighting Tybora coming up, I think, and I don't know how many fights he's left in his contract. Well, let's say whether it's him or or Pavlovich or whoever it might be or Jailton Almeida. You beat the next lad you fight, you beat the next lad you fight, and then you say, well, maybe I'll fight Francis for that two million, you know? That, that'd be, and then it'd be a great fight. I mean, him versus Aspinall, if Aspinall remained like undefeated or whatever uh, in the UFC and went out. Yeah. Well, we saw, we big, saw yeah. with Affliction that Andrea Lovsky and Kim Sylvia, we were both in the UFC at the time, UFC champions, things like that, left and went to fight Fedor, you know, for and the what big happened, money. And- what happened to Affliction after that fight? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's a little bit of this, like I really hope PFL do well. I hope they yeah. stick around. I hope this works out for them. It'd be good for MMA to have another 100%. editor in there, all that stuff, and for Francis as well. Like you know, Francis seems like a you know a really nice guy. When I when I met him a few years ago, he's a phenomenal fighter. He's got a ridiculously like interesting and hard and just really genuine, genuinely crazy backstory. Uh, even the you know. Uh, being so inexperienced being so new to MMA and doing what he was doing on his way up and there's just you know there's a lot you can market and a lot you can promote with there and if, and if PFL do a good job uh, of getting that to the masses you know they, they could do a big number but it just it just remains to be seen I know it keeps saying that but it, it just does remain to be seen do you know another part of this as well it feels like it's very hard to get a nuanced opinion on this because like a lot of there's a lot of people out there is like you well you can't say anything bad about the UFC you can't say anything bad about Dana White MMA only exists in the UFC is like you know PFL doesn't exist Bellator doesn't exist one championship doesn't exist unless you're in the UFC that's the end of it and then you have other people out there who have been like cheering on Francis from second one go you do it you leave you go and like not actually really caring about Francis I'm glad he got this done but I think there was like a genuine uh, you know, there was a carefree attitude towards him doing this. Now, it, it's hopefully turned out well. It seems like it's turned out well. Uh, like, you like, know, he needs to. He needed to get the deal done, a yeah. good deal for the for the rest of his career. You know, it isn't going to be that long in terms of his lifespan. So, in order to set himself up, like he should be set up. You know, he should already be set up from his UFC run, but isn't. He's obviously, you know, he's not struggling, but 
in terms of you know the money he's yeah. been involved in it, generating for you know the UFC and things like that. Yeah. Obviously, he should have made more. And like, I don't think anybody, even people who oh, you know are UFC stands, would 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 the UFC argue that like, you know Francis has made a lot of money for the UFC and, yeah. and should have got paid more. But you know, uh, it was a huge risk. He was like dangling there in in limbo, like. Like and he still is in a way. Obviously, he needs to get the boxing match done, but at least he has this now. This PFL, and he, like hopefully. the thing, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah. Did like the UFC had offered him that money, so it wasn't as if like the UFC were hanging him out to dry or not paying him. Like the UFC, had well, offered I think him he the said money. on the Ariel show that it was more about it wasn't really about yeah. the money, it was more about the Come stipulations on. and the kind of future of. Uh, the athletes in the sport in general that he wanted a few changes mm. made to and the UFC just weren't willing to agree to but now he's gone fucking he's gone boxing for uh, Bob Arum <laughs> like, what are you talking about like uh, oh yeah I want, I want all these people looked after and all he's gone fighting for Eddie Hearn or Bob Arum or fucking Don King or someone Paying lads five hundred quid and robbing all their money for well, I don't think I don't think the fact that he like come fought, on like the fact that he'll fight for like the highest bidder and or box for the highest bidder in boxing takes away from him trying to do a good thing and you know uh, but in like negotiations it, but maybe you know it just it just remains to be seen if this is a good idea or not and I think people are really kind of uh, jumping the gun and trying to 100%. decide if, if it's been a if it's been a, a glorious decision or a glorious failure 100 and I think like people <laughs> people who are accusing other people of jumping the gun have jumped the gun themselves. As you said, this is very much a wait and see sort of thing. Like, imagine if PFL fucking blows up and goes out of business after one fight. Well, then Francis hasn't is made a terrible decision and is in a terrible place. Imagine if he doesn't get a. Imagine if he has like a warm up uh, boxing match and he gets knocked out in that or something. Like, he's in a terrible person because he's not getting the big boxer match. And I'm like, are those fucking three fights in BFL even going to happen? Like, like th- this has not been written yet. Like, it looks like he's in a great position now. And he is in a great position right now. And, it, you know, he's in a position that everything doesn't need to go right. But unless everything goes 100% right, he's not going to be completely over and above what the UFC were giving him in a place where he'd have to, you know, have good even fights in a place where he's going to build his brand even yeah. more and be the UFC gem and we know that can I ask you a question the other, like you obviously follow boxing more than me but like for for example the Tyson Fury purse um, Tyson's probably going to want like 70, 30, 80, 20 or something like that you know he's even against top level boxers I, I've heard anyway that's the kind of cut he's looking for how much is a boxing purse like how much is 20% of, of a Tyson Fury boxing purse? I don't, I don't know. know. Like, I saw Tyson Fury put out a thing yesterday saying, like, lads were looking for who, who was it? Um, oh, I can't remember who it was. I was looking for 20 million to box him, but like, most lads who box say the likes of Fury and they are the obvious B side and stuff are getting they're like three to five million, maybe, or something like that, you know, now in the position where he is now, which is good money, and like. Francis felt like he wanted more, but I think he would probably take that now. But like, if you're getting seven million for an MMA fight, why would you take three million for a boxing match? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe well, he if just he, if he, in his head, he's probably gonna, you know, hit Tyson Fury. He's gonna go down, and they're gonna have a big money rematch where he's in the driving seat or whatever, you know. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that's just a bonus anyway. So that's grand. So if he can get that bonus and then come in to uh, to do MMA and you know win his MMA fights, then then he's he's rosy. But yeah, I don't know. I, There's still I, lots of questions hanging over this whole situation. Yeah. Uh, also, can we, like, so 
let, let's agree on that. People have jumped the gun on both ways. If you're calling this a hundred percent a win, I don't think it is. If you're calling a hundred percent loss, it definitely isn't. It's like it's like uh, as we say as well with the UFC. It's fucking was unwritten with the UFC as well. He could have signed a five five contract, and they, maybe they wouldn't have even happened. You know, we that can that can happen as well. So we 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 must say that. I just think it's very odd as well that. You know this whole situation. People are not allowed to have their opinion on it. Nearly like if you if your opinion is, I wanted Francis to fight John Jones, or I wanted him to fight Pavlovich, and he's not giving me that now, and I don't like him anymore. Well, that's your prerogative, right? You can have that opinion. If your opinion is also like, fuck it, the UFC are only a shower of bastards. Francis went out and he got paid, and he doesn't have to count out to them. That's a fine opinion. My opinion's kind of somewhere in the middle, to be honest. And I think most people's opinion should be somewhere in the middle. But like, maybe we can get that. Let's say if the Aspinall did leave, and we can get Aspinall versus Francis uh, outside the UFC or Serial versus Francis two outside of the UFC or something like that. It'd be absolutely class. So you know, whatever. But yeah, but like you know, some of that is just like sticking to one side as well. When oh, it's all said and done, and we like, do know weird. what the result is, then you know people will probably still be sticking to what they said originally. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I don't this, know. It's just, it's, it's like sometimes, sometimes politics to people on social media and things like that. Sometimes it's not actually their, their real opinion. It's just a bit of anger or a bit of like being a contrarian or things like that. So yeah, sometimes I don't know. People are just, but it's more than that. It's like, people, it's like us talking like, about you know, somebody. They like said something. So they're going to yeah. parrot that. We see it with Jamie Redknapp. Or yeah. sorry, Jamie Carragher, uh, Gary mm-hmm. Neville, they can say something and you just see it getting parroted and then that becomes like the lore and people are talking yeah. about it years later, like pretending Paul Scholes was better than Gundogan and things like that. Or, you know, pretending oh, Paul Scholes now. was brilliant at football like, and just come rewriting on. history. So we, we, we've seen it. We've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a, it's a, it's a terrible point, but in a good point because it's it's like Man United versus Liverpool. Like we're all, I'm always going to argue for Man United. You're always going to argue for Liverpool because we have chosen our sides. But that's a really weird thing in mixed martial arts. Like it's like well, I know that I'm arguing from the yeah. So the do I. Like, side and like I'm, I'm I'm looking to put the spin that I want. Absolutely, on it, absolutely. You know what I mean? Just yeah. for a bit of crack as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when, uh, MMA shouldn't be like that because they're like there is no teams. We cannot like we give out about the UFC the whole fucking time here. But like. The UFC offered him a great deal. If you deny that, you're fucking fooling yourself. Like, and Francis turned it down. It's like, well, well, well. The UFC offered a great deal relative to what they offer other people. That's a good deal. Did they offer a great deal, though? I don't think so. That's, oh, you're 100% correct. Yeah, you're actually 100% correct. Uh, and that, yeah, that's a great point. And like, he goes back, to, harkens back to the whole point. Like, the UFC are not paying people enough, and Francis has every right to be fucking mad with him. But still, they did pay him a sh- or offer to pay him a shitload more money than they've ever paid anyone before. So like, it, he did, he did defeat the UFC in a way. You know, he did make them pay him a shitload of money. And then he turned it down. <laughs> you know, so, I think also I some know. people like you know really wanted to see Francis Ngannou and John Jones, and they're pissed yeah. off that you know he didn't fulfill their their want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and also on the you mentioned the Tyson Fury thing. Like Tyson Fury has just used UFC champions down through the years. I put up a tweet about it the other day. He has called out Junior Dos Santos. He's called out Ken Velasquez. He's called out uh, now John Jones. He's called out Francis Ngannou. I'm yeah, sure there's a couple Pudo, more. It helps you know, builds their profile as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. But he's, Francis believed him, I think, you know? Now, I'm sure he would take a Francis boxing match if the, you could get a, a big amount of money out of it and all of that. But Francis is also no longer What's the UFC the story champion. With- uh, you know more about boxing again but you don't have like mandatory challengers that you yeah to, you do yeah but like, like is, still, that, is that still a thing or what's going on at heavyweight now it's only Usyk and Tyson Fury so and they have all the belts 
So it's not I, I I think like If they fought each other They'd allow him But then like I think I don't know I don't know I think Fury fought his uh, His mandatory Not too long ago So I'd say if he You know If they wanted to make The Francis fight They probably could But I, I don't know I don't know Boxing is a fucking is a mess. Yeah, maybe we can get some boxing expert on to, no, to inform us. Is there any no. who's a good boxing expert? Sure, sure. Every MMA journalist is a boxing expert these days that have let you know what a lot of shit like. What a lot of bollocks, Graham. We're so an you're, MMA you're podcast. You've been talking up kickboxing and grappling on one, uh, one of yeah. these. So you're, you're one to talk. You big I, I, uh, that's true. It's a fair point. Although, uh, at least they're more throwing like stones it. at glass houses over there, Sean. I, I, I remember the old, uh, <laughs> the old Sean Sheehan. He used to just like the old cage fighting, and that the was old it. Cage fighting. I don't even like that anymore. I'm money missing. I'm money missing. It's great, but yeah, I suppose we'll uh, we'll leave it there. If any more points in the whole Francis thing or the, the McGregor thing or anything, did we leave out, Graham? I don't know. It's, basically uh, going to leave it on Sean's a prick. <laughs> yeah, Sean's a prick. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no. Uh, hopefully, people enjoy it and. You know, uh, yeah, obviously it's not going to be for everybody. He's a polarizing figure, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, never before seen behind the scenes stuff. Uh, good. Why wasn't I in it? Was a- is the fucking big question. Say again. Why wasn't I in it? I should have been in Where it. Why weren't you in it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You weren't in it. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, to talking heads were were were, were um, kind of. American, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that was uh, also my like my interview. I feel like could be a good way to start the next one. Like you know, when he's like, oh, I'm baloney, baloney. <laughs> oh no, that was oh yeah, that was another interview. So, but no, but the one uh, in uh, it started with your you well, started with him complimenting Sean Sheehan and just for no yeah. reason. And, and <laughs> try and work <laughs> yeah, work yeah. that into the narrative. This must get in, lads. This must get into it. Yeah, but now he give a, good, a few good snippets in the one that we did in Dublin. Like it's uh, also though, just before we move on. And before we ended up, Connor's been off for an awful fucking long time. Like that interview I did with him was in February of last year, so that's what fifteen months ago. And he was talking about coming back in like the late summer, early autumn, and it's the fucking summer again now. Like it's, I don't know. Have you any insight? In, has he been injured again or anything, or is it just like what's going on? Um, yeah, well, like uh, in the documentary, you can see him talking to a surgeon, uh, Dr. Neil Elitrash, uh, in the hospital, and they're saying, or oh, maybe 10 to 12 months before you're back doing everything. And obviously, you need to get yourself back in sh- fight shape and things like that. And, uh, you know, usually I'd be. I'd be getting the log notes uh, from, or getting the footage from Dara and doing the log notes up and keeping as up to date on on as on the footage as possible. But obviously, there's been a lot going on with uh, meeting deadlines and getting uh, stuff done, getting the the eyes dotted and t's crossed, as they say, and in this documentary. So, I, I do have a bit of log notes to catch up on, but I haven't heard of any you know major setback or anything like that. But yeah, I I I, I don't know to be honest. But uh, I think like ten to twelve months was a bit. Um, maybe you know if if it was a different sport, if it wasn't a fight sport, maybe if you were playing soccer or, or swimmer or something, you know, <laughs> some sport that isn't you know guys trying to kick you as hard as they can in the leg and you trying to kick them and constantly you know twisting and torquing and all this stuff. So uh, you know, with Chris Weidman, I don't think it's taken him a very long time to come back. Um, similar injury there so maybe it's just you know playing it safe and maybe he has we talked about it earlier you know kind of trying to push through too quick and I think he probably did come back a little bit too early against Brandao uh, from his ACL injury and kind of led to some more problems and things like that so maybe it is a case of of you know not rushing it and making sure everything is 100% correct before you go but yeah that's just speculation on my part yeah I I 
you know, obviously we, we, we've moved away from the documentary for a second, but like I, I think a lot of people would like to see a redemption again or would like to see him back at his best again or make another run again. Like I've said it multiple times over the last year or so that it's like, I think it's becoming more and more unlikely all the time, but I hope I'm wrong on that as well. Like I, I and I say the same with Chris Weidman. I say the same with any fighter. Like I even to come back and give an account of themselves like they once did. Like, and he's not, you know, he's not that old. He's almost the exact same age as me. So what is he? Thirty four years of age. And we're only born. I think we're only born like a week apart or two weeks apart or something. So it's always handy. But like, it's not that old. You know, it's not. Although I might feel it on my shoulder at times, but uh, it's it's not that old. And he could still do it. So it'd be very interesting. But. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see on that, and I'm sure we'll see more documentaries and all. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. If you haven't gone over to manscaped.com yet, please do use the promo code SEVERMMA over there and get twenty percent off and free shipping. Manscaped have have really, really, really helped us uh, as a podcast over the last few years, and if you could help them, that would be amazing. Um, and also, if you would like to support our work even more, you know, Graham was talking there about 2011. That's fucking 12 years ago we've been doing this. You know, Graham hanging around, drinking cups of coffee, getting paid fucking nothing for the last 12 years, trying to earn the knowledge we have today to do a podcast like this every week. Patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. You could you could throw us an old fiver, you know, and uh, help us to continue to do it because, like, not everyone can do this and not to pat ourselves on the back or anything. And you even more than me, obviously, Graham, but like, there are only very few people in the world who can actually do the job we do with the, the, the amount of knowledge and backing and experience that is there. So, um, you know, that's my selling point. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, fair enough. But you can listen to this podcast for free every week anyway. Yeah. We've, and, we've uh, brought you between all of us in different various forms, a lot of entertainment in different forms, documentaries, videos, podcasts, breaking news, stories, all that stuff. So, yeah, if you if you wouldn't mind, if you can spare an extra five or get even more content, that'd be great. Indeed. Or is it yeah. a little bit more than a five with, with tax? I, yeah, around, around, we'll say around six. I think it's fucking... The price of a, a Dublin breakfast roll is what it would be. So there you go. Um, all right. If you want, uh, if you tune in today to hear about the fights, my apologies. You can listen to uh, the Balance Breakdown, which will be out for free uh, on YouTube and on our Patreon as well. The audio will be out there. The previous show will be out for free on YouTube and the audio will be out on our Patreon as well. So we have now, I think we have five audio, po- or sorry, uh, yeah, five audio podcasts every single week on our Patreon. So that's that's pretty good value if you want to sign up over there. But uh, if not, yeah. no maybe, worries as well. Maybe since we just showed it on about uh, about Conor McGregor and Francis Ngannou instead of talking about the the usual podcast, we can put out the the balance uh, breakdown as a podcast on this on this feed uh, later yeah, in the week if sure. people people miss their uh, UFC. One. Uh, let's, do let's do it let's do it all right we leave it there thanks everyone for listening oh our youtube is back as well so if you want to go over there and uh check that out or we got monetized again thank thank the fucking lord uh, i and uh, do you know what i'm gonna pat myself on the back that was definitely was 100 me who got it back for us so fair play to me but uh yeah it so- was me <laughs> it's me all along it's me
What is it? I, I always get the words wrong. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. Hi. Me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. But I always thought it was I me. So. I, me. I'm the problem. It's me. But no. I literally I, only hear that when my me. wife is going through Instagram. It's just not like constantly. That's um, how I hear it. A loop it of like five different songs <laughs> that are just constantly yeah. played in 10 seconds. Uh, oh my first. God. From TikTok. Does she go on TikTok? It's fucking TikTok of me. It's no, thank God. Thank God. Just nonstop. Anyway, we let you go. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Graham, have you an inspirational quote? Give us a Conor McGregor quote there as an inspirational quote. Go on, do it. I actually had a different one lined up. Go on. uh, a song of a, a band that uh, that likes you, Sean. Okay. Time to end this suffering. I need a minute to myself so I can drift away. You will never get to me. What can't be done, I'll do to myself so I can slip away. Dear, I'm actually crying after this. Alright, everyone, thanks for listening. My voice is gone. We'll see you next week. Good luck. So now I'm gonna take the opposite approach. Cuddle him, look after him, whisper sweet nothings, tell him it's gonna be alright, it will be over quick. And hopefully get him get him into that octagon. How can a fat guy be so skinny at the same time? His chin, his chin is deteriorating. Every single contest he gets in, he hits one knee. He does a gust of wind and he does the chicken dance. Take take a coffee break, mate. And by coffee break I mean bring me my coffee. No. Otario, Otario! Otario, Otario! You know what that means? Pussy. I should have just pulled my knee from my leg and hit him with it. This solid gold pocket watch. Three people died making this watch, you know what I mean? You should do this, you know, use a, use a severe MMA, severe MMA, use a leading the way of Irish uh, MMA media, you know what I mean? So you should start acting like you're leading the way, you know what I mean? I lead the way in combat. I rock a seal, look well, you know what I mean? And you should do the same.